following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Well, good morning, uh, Faith family and uh, friends and everyone that's listening around the world uh, on the Internet this morning. We thank you for being with us, and this morning we're going to dig really deeply into God's Word. So let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we just thank you. Thank you for allowing us to be here this morning to worship and praise you. And Lord, I pray that our, our prayer this morning is that we go. We go and share the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, your scripture tells us how to do it and what to expect. And Lord, I just ask that you take all the disruptions and distractions that we have in our heads right now and just remove them so we can hear your word clearly, personally. Lord, we pray for the the grieving members of our church family, the sick members of our church family, Lord, those that are hurting and spiritually, emotionally, physically, Lord, we just ask that you, you, you just be with them and give them comfort, peace, and rest this time. Father God, we just thank you, and we praise you, and we worship you. And it's in your Son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, look at that. So this morning, our message is titled, So Let's Make a Deal. All right, and I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. If you don't pay attention for the rest of the message, this is where it's all about. Uh, it's Jesus gives us a formula for his spiritual success, and he tells us three things. There's dependence on him. There's developing great teamwork, and finally, deliver and transform lives through the power of Jesus. Three D's. Depend, develop, deliver. So this morning, if you would, if you have your copy of God's Word, we're going to go to Luke chapter 10. We're going to read verses 1 to 12 to start off. So if you would, if you have your Bible, if not, it's be up here on the screen. It says, And after this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to uh, to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way, behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bags, no knapsacks, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, Peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what they set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you. But whatever you, whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, do not, uh, do not receive you, go into its streets and say, 
Even the dust from your town clings to our feet. We wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come now. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than that for this town. That's pretty powerful words right there. Wow. So this morning, let's make a deal. Yeah. There you go. A little humor. You've probably heard the, have you heard that uh, there's a brain teaser that's called the Monty Hall problem. It's a probability puzzle that was loosely based on the TV show called Let's Make a Deal, and it was named after its original host, Monty Hall. Now, I'm sure many of you this morning have seen Let's Make a Deal. Anybody seen Let's Make the Deal? Door number one, door number two, door number three. And, and so this probability problem was uh, first proposed by a biostatistician, easy for me to say, uh, at the University of California at Berserkley. Now, if you went to Berkeley, I'm sorry, I call it Berserkley. Because um, there's crazy people out of there. <laughs> crazy people there, buddy. <laughs> I wasn't trying to be judgmental. I was discerning. <laughs> and it goes like this. Suppose you're on a game show and you're given the choice of three doors. And behind door number one is a car. and Behind door number two are goats. You pick a door, say, number one. And the host opens the door and asks you, wouldn't you really rather pick door number two? Is it to your advantage to switch doors? Now, if you ever watched Let's Make a Deal... You've seen that problem in action. Monty Hall loved to confuse people by trying to get them to either change their minds or he'd make them actually go a little bit crazy trying to figure out what to do. Should they pick door number one, door number two, or door number three? And after they pick door number one, should they change their minds and pick either door two or three? Now, (laughs) I know I've done this, so probably some of you here. Have you ever played along with the TV show, and picked the right door? I won that Pontiac Firebird. (laughs) Just never got it. Didn't have California taxes. How about, though, have you ever picked the wrong door? Did you pick the goat? Been there, done that, too. I got a box full of goose feathers. So this morning, in Dr. Luke's passage... It can be seen as similar to, I I believe, as let's make a deal. Jesus wants his followers to understand where the greatest prize in life actually resides. In our text, Luke shares that Jesus had sent out 72 of his most committed and consecrated disciples. Now, point of interest, this wasn't the 12 apostles. This was 72 in addition to the 12. The 12 were doing something else. And these 72 had experienced some amazing successes. They had been able to do things that just a few weeks earlier they could never have imagined that they were going to be uh, be able to do. And Luke tells us that they had been able to preach about the kingdom of God, heal the sick, and even cast out demons. Now, can you imagine being a part of one of those teams? That would be pretty cool. When they would face some opposition and trials... They didn't want to spend time on the negatives. 
Don't we have the reverse, though, thinking? When we reach obstacles and negatives, we start getting that stinking thinking where I can't do it anymore. You don't hear in the scripture about them claiming to have not enough food or shelter. What's God telling them, Jesus telling them to do? Don't carry a knapsack. Don't carry any money. Don't carry any sandals. Just go, greet someone, knock on the door. Peace be with you. They say, peace be with you too. They'll take care of you. That's called what? Faith. Exactly. Exactly. And, and when we read about we don't hear him complaining. We hear him in verse 17, jumping ahead a little bit. They all came back rejoicing and celebrating. And who wouldn't? A couple weeks before, you couldn't do any. You, you, now guy's paralytic. You say, be healed, and he's being healed. See a possessed man or woman or child, you're able to say, get behind me, Satan. And it does. Could you imagine being able to do that? You wouldn't come back grumping about, well, that one person didn't accept you, Jesus. No, you're telling about all the good stuff, right? They had experienced the time of their lives. And they were ecstatic over what they had seen and what they had accomplished, not for themselves, but for Jesus. Sure, if you read the scripture, it says they were sent out as lambs in the midst of the wolves. And someone, I think it was Carol this morning, made an interesting observation. He didn't send them out as sheep. He sent them out as lambs. Lambs are what? Little baby sheep. (laughs) Totally defenseless. That's pretty awesome. But in the name of Jesus, these lambs were able to bring freedom and healing into the life of people. They were able to do the same miracles that they had watched Jesus perform. They had been able to cure fevers and heal the lame and enable the sick to see and cleanse lepers. They were able to bring healing and wholeness in the life of people who were suffering, who were depressed, who had been decimated in all the areas of their lives. So I ask you again, can you imagine how they were feeling? Well, let me put this question to you. How would you feel this morning? If just for a few days, you were able to go out and preach, heal people, and cast out demons. Anybody have a loved one in the hospital? Anybody have a sick? Wouldn't you love to be able to go over and say, be healed in the name of Jesus? I'd be going to every hospital in town. Every nursing home. Imagine that power. How would you feel if you could do some, just some of the things that Jesus did when he was here on earth? So it's not a wonder that they were all pumped up and they were really ready to do more. They had gotten a taste of what it meant to be anointed and what it meant to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they wanted more. Scripture says the harvest is great. I still believe it's true today. It wasn't just great 2,000 years ago. It's really great today. If we believe that, and this is a question we have to really wrestle with, if we believe that it's just going to be a short time that Jesus comes back, we don't know the day or the hour, we should probably make the principles of Jesus Christ's great commission that he gave to the 72, we should make that our own. 
Shouldn't we own that? The laborers are few. Now this means not only that there needs to be more workers, but there also have to be about our work for the Lord. If you have workers that aren't doing the work, what good are they? When there's a lot of work to do, and just a few workers, what do you do? You have to get busy, don't you? If you have set aside five hours of work and you figure in 50 people go show up and then only 10 do and you still have to accomplish that work, you get busy, right? In a way, what I see this is, is Jesus wants them to choose door number three. They had already seen and experienced behind door number one. They had, what they had done is people were healed and of all kinds of diseases and sicknesses. And then behind door number two, people freed, they were freed from demonic possessions. And now Jesus wants them to look into door number three. And I would submit that's the most important door of all. You see, Jesus wants them to understand that it is even more important than healing, or what is even more important than healing and casting out demons. He wants them to understand what should bring them the most joy and celebration in their lives. You know, Jesus says in verse 20, I know we didn't read that, but it says, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subjected to you. Don't rejoice in that, but rejoice that your names have been written in heaven. Anyone's name written in the book of life? If it's not, we need to talk. I'm here afterwards, pastor's here afterwards. If you're not sure that your name's written in heaven, really need to get that square. Because we don't know. We don't know. And the greatest experience and the thing that we should rejoice about the most, it's not about how much spiritual powers or how many spiritual gifts we possess. The thing we should rejoice about is the most is that our names are written down in heaven. In other words, we've been redeemed, we've been renewed, we've been restored into the image of Jesus Christ. Redeemed, renewed, restored. Three R's. Like three D's, three R's. The next letter will be brought to you by the letter C. <laughs> if you have kids, you know that's Sesame Street. <laughs> there is nothing as great as knowing that we are saved, saved and sanctified this morning. I take great peace in that. Jesus told them because he was afraid that these 72 disciples and all the others, they were going to get caught up in their ability to heal and cast out de uh, demons. Don't we have a tendency sometimes when we do something really, really good, we kind of get a little bit puffed up? I did this. I'm good. Watch me now. I'm even gooder. <laughs> He was afraid they would focus on their own spiritual abilities rather than the gift of salvation. He, he was afraid they would focus on what they could do for people's physical and emotional and social needs at the expense of their spiritual need. He was afraid they would forget that Jesus' true mission was to redeem, renew, and restore mankind. 
And we have to always remember that Jesus' highest mission was to save us and to sanctify us. In the passage, Jesus shares with us the formula of his spiritual success. He shares with us how we can experience success both in evangelism and in spiritual foundations. He shares with us how we can be um, successful in the body of Christ. He shares with us how we can be Jesus to all those that are around us. Do you know you can be Jesus around people? When they see you, you, they know that you are what? Christ-like? As a Christ follower? So it all begins with Jesus. Depending on the Lord, the Lord appointed. Everything that happened, all the discipleship, the healing, the transforming, the changing of lives, the casting out demons, everything they experienced happened because these 72 people began to follow and depend on Jesus. Follow and depend. Everything that began depended on Jesus. These 72 disciples, they had walked with Jesus for some time. I don't think they would just found them on the sidewalk and said, come on. I think they had been there a while. They had simply not joined up and decided to take a trip with them, go on a hike. And as you read the story, Luke tells us that Jesus chose these disciples, and they were not chosen by accident. These 72 individuals were among the most committed and consecrated of Jesus' disciples. And as I said earlier, it's important to remember that these 12, the 12 apostles were not part of these 72 because they had their own unique mission. All we really know is that they had been redeemed and they have been selectively chosen by Jesus to be his missionaries. That's the Reader's Digest version of what they were. And like uh, the apostles, you know, they had not been chosen for their intelligence or their innate abilities. They were chosen because they had surrendered their hearts and their lives to Jesus. You know, Jesus doesn't care how smart you are or how good-looking you are. That's not what's important. What's important is right here. Where is your heart? Do we have that personal relationship with them? They were chosen because they had decided that Jesus was the way, the truth, and the light. They were chosen because they were willing to do anything and everything, any and everything that Jesus wanted to do at that time. But you know what, folks? It's the same today. No difference. It's the same today. Jesus is not looking for the most intelligent or the person with the greatest innate abilities. He certainly enjoys when an individual decides to follow him, but all Jesus really wants is a willing heart and an open mind and an obedient spirit. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians one twenty-seven. He tells us, but God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Essentially, Jesus has often chosen those in the world who were weak. And guess what he did? He used these people to transform the world. I usually uh, don't name drop. I'm going to this morning. 
there was a great Methodist preacher, John Wesley. And I don't agree with all Wesley's theology, but I think he's a good example. He was able to travel over 250,000 miles for the Lord and preach over 40,000 sermons all over England and America. Pastor, do you think he had notes on those? <laughs> he didn't have this little thumb drive at the store. Let's see, I have one? Yeah, 12 years of sermons on here. No, he didn't have that. <laughs> uh, you know, by the time of his death, there were nearly 80,000 people who called themselves Methodists. And today, that number, the latest statistics, is 80 million. So what was the key? What was it that made this little man be able to do such things in his lifetime and leave a legacy? I believe it's because he depended totally on the Lord. He allowed the God to reach down and fill his heart with the Holy Spirit. He allowed God to put an anointing on his life and gave him supernatural strength, courage, and power. This morning, all the Lord needs from us is a willing heart, an open mind, an obedient spirit. You know, we may not be able to do the things that Wesley or Spurgeon or Moody did, but we can do great things for the Lord through our lives. I have I told this story before. I had a little old lady at one of my churches. <laughs> Her spiritual gift was to annoy me. <laughs> and I pre- remember preaching a message one Sunday, and I walked back, and I'm greeting everybody, and she says, uh, Preacher boy? That was a <laughs> she was like 90. And she said, that was a pretty good sermon this week, but I, you know, I heard uh, David Jeremiah preach something similar to that. Same, good, good message, different, but good. And I'm like, I'm not David Jeremiah. You're paying me a hundred bucks a week. You pay a couple of grand, you might get Jeremiah, you know. <laughs> but uh, all we have to do is pause and tell Jesus that we're at his disposal. So I honestly ask you this morning, could you pause right now and do that? Could you tell Jesus right now that he could have our hearts, our minds, and our spirits? Now, Jesus also shares the second key to success, developing teamwork, two by two. Jesus understood the value of a team. After all, wasn't Jesus part of the greatest team of all time? You know, in Genesis 126, the writer tells us that God said, let us make men in our own image. Now, who exactly is the men, is the us? We know today that the us is God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Can you think of a more unified, more powerful, more loving team than God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? I believe that God loves teamwork because he's part of a team. Chapter two, Genesis 2 shares with us the story of how the first human, Adam, needed to be part of a team. Said then the Lord God said, It is not good for this man should be alone. I will make him a helper, fit for him. The Bible tells us that God made only Adam and there was no Eve. And for a time, Adam was alone in the garden. 
And the Lord saw that Adam would never find total fulfillment living in the garden alone. So he created Eve, the very first woman. He made the first woman, he made the first human team. He made Adam and Eve, male and female. Throughout scripture, we have story and story of how much better we humans are when we're able to work together as a team. There are some great teams we find in the Bible. Moses and Aaron. Ruth and Naomi. David and Jonathan. Eli and Elisha. Shadrach, Meshach, and under the bed I go. And it was Peter, James, and John. <laughs> yeah, as if you've ever played a team sport, you ever played music, been part of a drama team, you understand the value of team. Team creates what they call today a synergy. And we might think that we're able to do things alone, and we do things without other people, but when we do that, we are sadly mistaken. We need one another, my friends. We can't make it in this life without another one in it. Dr. John Maxwell, he's a, a pastor, speaker, and author, and he's one of the very few people in our nation who's written more and spoken more of the value of, of, of teamwork. And he has a book called The 17 Indisputable Laws of, of Teamwork, and he writes this, Individuals play the game, but teams win the championship. You might say, well, I'm watching golf. Tiger's out there, bottom of the leaders board. Tiger's not playing it alone. Who's hugging, who's lugging his bag? The caddy. And what's the caddy doing? He's telling him to read. He even makes suggestions on what club to use, how hard. It's, Tiger's the, the, uh, the tool. I do that with a little, because he had a bad leg. But he was, you know, there really are very few individual sports. If you're a sprinter, you still have a coach. You don't do these things by yourself. And haven't we seen that really in sports over the last 20, 30 years? Individuals, we've seen some great basketball players. Kobe Bryant, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Michael Jordan. And each of them were outstanding all-stars. But you know what's interesting? They needed their teams in order to win the championship. On their own, they couldn't win the prize. With Shaq, Kobe won. With this team, Steph Curry won. With Dwayne Wayne, uh, Wade, LeBron has won. And with Scottie Pippen, Michael Jordan won. Now, I'm going to share this example. And if you're listening in Boston, forgive me. The New York Yankees, Yankees, by far, were probably the most productive baseball team. Uh, between 1949 and 53, they won five straight World Series. And that team, if you go back and look at the roster, it didn't have a Babe Ruth or a Derek Jeter. It had teams made up of guys you probably haven't heard of. Johnny Mize, you probably heard of Mickey Mantle and Yogi Berra. Individually, they were good, but they weren't the greatest. But working together as a team, they were better than anyone. There was a 14-year period between 1949 and 1962 that the same New York Yankees won 10 World Series. I would submit they might have cheated Boston a couple of times. But 
But that's what a teamwork will do for you. It all happened because of teamwork. Each of these teams accomplished all their goals and became more because they surrendered themselves to one another and for one another. I believe, and we have great small groups here, I believe that this is the value of our small groups and of our prayer teams. We don't have them just to pass time and fill up space. We didn't meet at 9 o'clock this morning because we had nothing better to do. You know, could use another hour of sleep, right? We don't come in on Wednesday nights. Eh, you know, full from dinner, have some place to relax. We Men, we come on Fridays and Saturdays to prayer meetings when we could be doing something else. Women, you have all these meetings during the course of the week, prayer meetings and Bible studies. We do that because we recognize the importance of that. It's out of these small groups and these small teams that we learn the truth of God's truth. It's out of these small groups that we share life and begin to birth miracles in our lives. It's out of these smaller groups that we form a bigger team. That team is the church of Jesus Christ. And it's in and through these groups that we learn how to be accountable to one another. Oh, that's a bad word. Anybody like to be accountable to anybody? Pastor does. He's the most spiritual guy I know. He kills me. You weren't supposed to raise your hand, dude. <laughs> Kill the whole story now. <laughs> well, if Pastor wasn't here, he didn't hear the question. <laughs> I don't like to be accountable to my wife. But I have to be because we formed that team. But, you know, there's a lot of times I'd rather do stuff she doesn't know about. I won't tell that story. That's not, that's not, that's not important to anything this morning. But, but anyway, <laughs> we're not to be in cliques. You know, all these little groups, we don't put on our little Christian face and say, I'm, I'm in this clique. But we're essential parts of being vital to the body of Christ. In verse 4 through 9, it says, in verse 4 it says, they learned how to be dependent on Jesus. Also in verse 4, they, they learned how to use their time effectively. In verses 5 and 6, they, they were able to discern the places and the people who were open to the gospel. In verse 7 and 8, they were able to put their wants to the side for the greater good. In verse 9, they were, they were able to effectively share Jesus' message. This morning, I can't never overestimate the importance of teamwork. And we can never overestimate the amount of work and the effective ministry we can have if we come together as a team. great example is the Walk for Life. That's an interdenominational organization, correct? They don't care what you call yourself. You just have to have the heart for the Lord to help people and save children. That's an effective team. I forget, Jerry, how much money did you say they raised last year total? In the county? 
Okay, but there's a ton of money because it wasn't just done coast to coast, right? Yeah. Yeah. This, it's amazing. Is there power behind that? You know, I'd love it if some one person said, here's a million bucks. And that'd be great. But there's no teamwork involved. Teamwork strengthens it. Yes, sir. Oh, yeah, Rob, I give you permission to heckle me once because I heckled you. Marty, I'm sorry. Marty, I, you heck, I heckled you once so you can heckle me. Not out loud. <laughs> we praying together and working together and living together. That's what it's all about. And then finally, Jesus tells us that through dependency and teamwork, we can realize deliverance and transformation. The end of verse 20, it says, and I, Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. It all begins with Jesus. It's all about redemption, discipleship, obedience. It continues through teamwork. Is that easy? I wouldn't say so, because we have to surrender ourselves over to one another so that together we have more than we can ever have by ourselves. We have this spiritual synergy. You know, we all like to be team players. I remember when I played hockey as a teenager. I thought I was pretty darn good. I was the star. It wasn't really, but I thought I was. And then I realized I was hogging the puck. You know what that means? I I wouldn't pass it off. When someone else had the open shot, I just, I'm going to take it. And then I started realizing the defensemen weren't really sending the puck my way anymore. And the wings weren't really paying attention to me, the center. <laughs> so I had to have this, like, sea change. I remember a coach coming up to me and saying, Hey, dude, you're good, but there's a bunch of other guys out here on the ice with you. And each of you is important as the next. And that was a life lesson that I really had to learn. Carried it through the military. It wasn't all about me. When I was a young private, there were 13 other guys in my fire team. When I became a company commander, there was 250 guys. You know, it just, it, exponentially the teams grew in bigger and bigger sizes. And there was more strength with each one. So surrendering ourselves, it, it's, it's important. And it results with deliverance and transformation. It results in all of creation experiencing supernatural deliverance and supernatural transformation. I want to read you just from verse 19. And I want you to think about this for a second. And he said to them, speak Jesus speaking, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I think when I, when I first read those words, I wondered if I really realized the importance. So I did a little searching, and I went to Revelation 12, verses 7 to 12. And it shares us the story of the archangel Michael and how he throws Satan out of heaven. And then in Luke chapter 4, it shares us the story of how Jesus defeated Satan during his period of temptation. Satan is defeated by the Lord. 
And those are all big letters, capital letters, L-O-R-D. But here, this is what's amazing. Jesus is telling us that these 72 individuals, these teams, 36 teams, they were able to throw down Satan. Why? Because they had the power of Christ. Depending on Jesus and working together as a team, they are able, they were able to throw down the embodiment of all evil. Do you believe that? Is the mic on? All right. Do you believe that? Do you believe you have the same, we have the same power working as a team that the Christian church can go out and pull Satan down? Thank you. Just getting worried. <laughs> they were able to defend, to defeat Satan. They were able to break the chains of bondage. They were able to defeat Satan's power. And, and I'm, we can't gloss over what's happening in this passage. Because back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve did what? They faced Satan, and what they do? They lost. King David, remember him? He faced Satan. What happened? He lost. Peter, Peter faced Satan. What happened to him? Denied Christ three times, right? He lost. Any human being, and I honestly believe that, who tries to face Satan with your own strength, you will 100% lose every time. I'm here to tell you, I've seen it in my life where I try to do things on my own, and I fail so miserably, it is despicable the things that's happened because I didn't trust God. And I trusted my own strength, my own power, my own knowledge. I don't need no stinking help. I can do this on my own. <laughs> if you don't have Christ, you don't have the power and the strength and the ability to stop Satan. However, when we place our dependency in the Lord, when we come together in the power of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, watch what happens. Satan is defeated. Not just once. It's not a one and done. It's not like a walk-off home run. No, it happens every time. He pulled down from his throne. Was, he was pulled down from his throne. He was thrown aside. The only way we can defeat Satan is to do it in the power of Jesus Christ as the body of Christ. You know, this year, as a nation, we're celebrating our 246th birthday. Do you realize that? You know, back in 1776, we declared our independence. But you know, it was never an individual independence. It had to be a team effort. When signing the Declaration of Independence, Benjamin Franklin made the following statement. We all hang together, or surely we all hang separately. You know, Franklin knew that if we pulled together a team, we might just be able to do the impossible. We just might be able to beat the number one superpower at the time, the British Empire. And we didn't do it alone. If you remember your history, who helped us out? France, Spain, Dutch. And what they did is, they didn't give us a whole lot of men, but they gave us supplies and weapons and ammunition and food. So we owe our independence this 4th of July to a great many people from a lot of different areas. And Jesus is telling us the same thing here in Luke 10. It all begins with him. It's through him that we can melt uh, into teams through the infilling presence of his Holy Spirit.
It's through him we can, as a team, we can stop Satan and transform our lives. We must be tempted, we may be tempted today to look around us and think, there's nothing we can do to stop the onslaught from evil. We might say to ourselves, things have fallen simply too far. We might say, society is just too broke. The future, we might say, of our nation and our world is hopeless. Just as a point of interest, back in the 1738, the English clerics thought the same thing was going on. They said to a degree that was never known before in any Christian country that the morality of Britain had collapsed. It was a time when people were proud, if you think about the 1700s, they were proud to have a wife and a mistress. Language was spoken and written both in full four-letter, foul words, vile words, and society looked upon those people who promoted deviant behavior. Now let me ask you a question. It was an age pretty much like ours today, isn't it? Amir, I hate to say it, buddy. I'm not a fan of rap. I've I've tried the Christian rap thing, and it just I, I my ears are too slow. They speak too fast, or something. <laughs> but I really don't. My son, oh my God, white chocolate there. Uh, he likes rap. Used to like rap. Ever listen to some of these rap songs? Pretty disgusting. You know, if you knew what they were saying, you say what what. But you don't know what to say until you read the words, and it's like, oh my God. What is used to be unacceptable has become acceptable. And many proclaim that the time for the church and Christianity was over back in the 1700s, that Satan had won, but God had had other plans. God worked through a team of spiritually appointed people. He joined them together. They formed teams. They formed prayer warriors. They formed missionaries. They formed social reformers. And guess what? In England, in roughly a hundred years, things started to radically change. And I say all that this morning because we need to understand that our world has been here before. We have been a world full of sin, full of demons of lust, power, greed, materialism, and evil. And we've experienced a time when families were torn apart. People were becoming addicted to drugs, alcohol, and immorality. We have experienced a time when much of our, much like our own today, where politics, politicians were corrupt and society was broken and people were suffering from poverty and want. There's nothing new under the sun. You know what? Many today want to write off the church and Christianity. And they want to say that Satan's won. I don't believe it. I believe our God is still in control. We have to work together in prayer, in witnessing, in praising, in proclaiming the message of Jesus. We need to continue to create small groups for teaching and intercession. We need to realize through Jesus that Satan can fall down like lightning. You know, there's been at least two spiritual awakenings in America 
first time was back in the 1700s, another in the 1800s. I won't go into all the detail, but you know what happened? There was a spiritual uptick, the Great Awakening. We had missionaries and we had guys like Moody and all these folks who were just bringing people to Christ. And I think today it's possible for us to do the same thing. And I believe it can happen by starting through churches and people just like us. Remember Jesus started off with 12, 12 disciples, right? That grew to 120 on the day of Pentecost. That grew to over 3,000. And then today, it's over 2 billion. In Luke 10, Jesus started with 72 committed and consecrated disciples. Now, as the worship team comes up to play this morning, uh, I'd like to close, and and I'd like to challenge us with, uh, well, it's a challenge. I'd like us all to come together and spend time in prayer. Not right this second, but maybe during the course of the week. Do you have a friend in the church, a brother and sister in the church? You go to the church website and get their phone number. Call them. Hey, can I pray with you for a couple minutes? Isn't that a great gift? Have you ever met anybody who says, can I pray for you? Nah, nah, I'm all right. I have. I have. And I told this story this morning. We were at a restaurant. Told the lady that we like to pray for people and we pray over our meal. And she said, nah, everything's cool. But 10 minutes later, she comes running up to us with her husband and says, could you pray for us? We're having problems in our marriage. Doesn't hurt to ask. We're afraid of rejection. As I stated earlier, he's not rejecting me. He's rejecting who? God. God will deal with that. Our job is to arrange the meeting and let the Holy Spirit do His work. So we should pray for God, I believe, to use us as the same way that He was able to do through the 72 disciples. For God to give us the infilling power of the Holy Spirit. For the Lord to give us courage, strength, and boldness to be His prayer warriors, His healers, the people that can bring about freedom and change. We are agents of change. Don't be satisfied with the status quo. It doesn't take a large group. It just takes a group of people with open minds, surrendered hearts, and obedient spirits. So this morning, let's pray. Father, Lord, we just come to you this morning and we ask you for the strength and the boldness to to go when you send us, to make us available and open to opportunities that we might not think are there, but to exploit those opportunities to share the good news of your son, Jesus. Father, I don't know the condition of people's hearts here this morning. There might be someone that just needs to come up and say, I accept Jesus as my Savior. And if that's true, please come up and I'll be wonderfully glad to pray with you. 
Or some people might have to recommit their lives. I don't know. I don't know what's going on in people's hearts, but I do know that you do, and that you can convict, you can encourage, and you can embolden us. So, Father, this morning as we leave this place, I pray for your constant guidance, and that I seek it with obedience. That each, every one of us, are obedient to your call. And we pray this in your Son Jesus' most precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.